Welcome to Learning with Lisa, Student Success Beyond Expectations podcast with Lisa Navarra, award-winning educator, consultant, behavior specialist, author, and parent. This podcast provides support for school leaders, educators, and parents. We share and discuss evidence-based resources that are embedded in social and emotional learning to meet the needs of students who struggle focusing and learning. Teachers and parents find information and strategies to improve students' academic, behavioral, and social-emotional performance. It's time to turn kids from I can't into I can. Welcome to Student Success Beyond Expectations. Today, we bring you Michelle Steiner, and she was diagnosed as a kindergartner who had a learning disability. She's going to talk to you today about what it was like for her when she struggled. What were the signs as such a young child that she needed extra help? How were her parents feeling? They weren't quite sure what to make of, well, she can't tie her shoes yet, or she couldn't do certain tasks that they thought that she would be able to perform. And then she's going to bring us throughout her life through her school and when she went to college, what that experiences were in relationship to more testing and diagnoses, as well as testing accommodations and how that has impacted her life. So thank you so much for joining us today, Michelle. Well, thank you so much for having me, Lisa. I appreciate it. Can you talk to us to the parent who has a young child? They see certain signs that they're concerned with, but they're just not sure if they should get help go for uh, an opinion by a doctor, what advice do you have for them? My advice to a lot of the parents that are wondering about that is definitely taking their concerns to uh, somebody, like whether it's their child's teacher or it's uh, with just a professional, if they're working with somebody from birth to three or just somebody that's uh, more knowledgeable just on what their concerns are. And where might they start? One of the greatest ways someone can start is if they have a young child right before school, if they're in like any early intervention services, they can mention that to uh, the teacher that comes in, their child's preschool teacher, uh, their pediatrician. That's another uh, great resource for that. And just getting in there and just asking those questions. What kind of concerns did your parents have for you when you were in kindergarten? Well, one of the concerns they did have was, well, I was my parents' first child, so a lot of it they didn't have a lot to base on because that was their first, and I think they had, my preschool teacher had some concerns that I wasn't, uh, just there were some atypical things with my development. When I got into uh, kindergarten, I was not able to uh, tie my shoes. I had um, some issues with um, being able to write my name, and Math has always been the biggest one, and eye-hand coordination, and those are things that um, they they started to notice. And did your teachers notice that there was a gap in this type of progress as well? Did they speak with with your teacher? Oh, yes. They they knew. They brought that to my parents' attention that there was just a lot they were seeing in the classroom that I wasn't performing like a typical kindergartner was. And they, my parents can set in for testing and the school psychologist called them into a meeting after the testing was done. And they said, well, your daughter has a learning disability and she'll never be able to understand math. 
And my dad is particularly good at math. So this was a little hard for him to understand. Well, wait a minute, is it like one plus one always going to be two? And I'm like, and they had to, um, you know, try to convince them. And luckily my parents went along with that because they wanted what was best for me. And that's, that's how that came about. And the following year, I was, I had to repeat kindergarten over again and in a new school. And so you repeated, because there's a lot of talk too about retention. So what is your personal opinion about retention being that you had to do kindergarten twice? I think being, having that retention was beneficial to me because I got the next year of having some of that repeated and filling in some of those gaps with having the services. Mm -hmm. So I think it just really depends on the child and the situation. And I think it's, one of those things you have to look at, have you used all your interventions yet? Have you got other uh, consultation from other people on the, the team too? That, that's another important factor as well. Right, well, good. I'm glad that was a very positive experience for you mm-hmm. and it helped to get you right on the start because it's important that identification at a young age is really, really important. Getting those services mm-hmm. at a young age it's really helpful. So now go through your, your, your life now, as we had kind of discussed just prior to us meeting now. And, and what, were the, what were your experiences like? Well, my experiences that I had uh, going through school were we started with the services getting me read, um, specialty instruction in all areas. And then they slowly started to get me in with um, gen ed kids towards um, reading, social studies, and science. And they did accommodations with that. So I would have a test. I would go and take that with uh, a teacher, and they would read the test out loud to me. And I would have extended time to take the test. Uh, Sitting in the front, that was another important thing, because I also had speech therapy, because I had... um, fluid in my ears. So I was having trouble hearing how words were sounding. So that that lasted for like elementary school. And then eventually I phased out of that. But having that experience was really important getting in those classes with the regular ed students. And that's what helped me when I went to school because I had to learn how to handle um, not always doing well on a test. Or I had to learn how to handle getting someone saying, okay, you're going to be doing homework in this class. And that that was really uh, important. And I was eventually in all regular ed classes except for resource and um, math in ninth grade. Uh, so that was really good. Yes, yeah, fantastic. Then, sure. Yeah. And then once it, the problems kind of began whenever they, it was time for me to graduate, I knew I always wanted to do college. And, but I also knew we had the math that, that was going to be an issue. And just that getting out of having a lot of the supports that I had. Yes. Yeah. And I can remember I had a teacher that told me, I don't think you can do college because of your math problems. And she was recommending a vocational program, which was wonderful. I think they provide great services for kids who don't want to do college, but still want to take up a trade. That's a great field to get into, but nothing interested me. And I can just remember I had another really positive um, role model. I had a student teacher that told me, you can do college. 
you there are a student teacher in one of your classes you know it doesn't matter what we do it doesn't matter who we are we can leave words that hurt and that stifle us or we can leave words that inspire other people and it doesn't matter if you're the actual teacher or mm -hmm. the cooperating teacher or the student teacher so look at that that's fantastic yeah definitely i can't remember what her name was, but I still remember those words. You know, you can do yes. college, you know how to study, you can do this. And that right. was planting that seed and it gave me some hope. And then I can remember uh, OVR came in, their office of vocational rehab to talk to me. And I was like, well, I've never taken, I know I want to do college, but I've never taken the SAT scores and uh, haven't taken that testing. And I don't know how I'm going to handle the classes. And they said, well, what about doing community college? And a lot of times the university will look at that. Sure. And, that and that's what I, so that was our plan. And I just have to give a shout out to my parents. They never gave up on me, even when I was a kid or as an adult. Um, they've never always been up. supportive. I, you know, I couldn't have got through school without them and without um, my teachers, uh, the ones that were encouraging Um and I right. yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> I was just writing down my parents never gave up on me. I love that. I love that. Because yeah. they were they were the voice a lot of times who said, no, you, you know, you are smart. You just learn differently. Okay, you didn't do well in the test. We're, we don't expect perfect grades, but we do expect that you sit down with your homework and right. cry. And you know, they they studied with me a lot of times. Yeah. But yeah. So what happened was I was able to graduate uh, from high school and I was a little, I was nervous, definitely. And before I was to go to college, uh, OVR wanted to do some additional testing on me just to see where I was at for getting these disability accommodations. And I can remember take, doing the testing and I didn't score very well. And I can remember the psychiatrist telling uh, me, Julie's uh, uh, written on the test, you most likely not to go beyond a community college. And when I got to community college, there was such a stigma with accommodations that I didn't use them. I had professors that told me, well, you know, your job choices are going to be really limited because of your math disability. And I struggled and I didn't use them because people were, even some of the students were thinking, well, that's just giving you an unfair advantage. Mm. And it wasn't until I had a professor that told me, I was struggling in her class and she said, well, let's get you some extended test time, at least, at least right. get you that. And I didn't do well in the class, but I was able to pass it for what I needed. And I, um, I was able to get my degree in uh, associates in early childhood. And I graduated and I was able to move out of my parents' house and I worked in childcare centers and I loved it. But there's just always a part of me that just wanted something more. And I had to eventually move back with my parents for financial reasons. And when I was there, uh, I applied at the university and then the job I was at, they were downsizing. So this was just the, the green light to go back to school full time. Yes, yes. And I was lucky I didn't have to, do the testing for the accommodations at that point. They accepted the original uh, psychiatric Great. evaluation. Great. Thank goodness. There's a lot involved in that. Maybe we could, after this, you could tell us sure. a little bit about what yeah. that's like. Definitely. Yeah. Um, and I 
was able to, I used all the accommodations. I advocated for myself. I found Good. a program that involved the least amount of math possible. Good. And was able to graduate with a bachelor's degree. Congratulations. Thank Fantastic. You. Yes. And the the evaluation process is very lengthy. It's it's about an eight hour, it's about eight hours and a yeah. lot of testing. And a lot, some not very much surprised me. I never walked out of one that said, oh, you don't have any, you don't have a disability. They always knew it was not not really a surprise with the math. The only thing that really surprised me was hand dexterity. And when I was a kid, I, well, even now, I am not the most coordinated person. I do drop things a lot. Things will go out of my hands. I don't have great handwriting. And we just always said, well, that's the learning disability. Or, okay, you just don't have really good handwriting. Or you're just not coordinated. And then they tested me. And they said, you have hand dexterity issues. You have very low hand dexterity. And that's compared to people that um, have brain injuries. So, yeah. and the light bulb just went off. I'm like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. So for our listeners who are, who are really considering testing and the value of them, that's a testament really of two things, really. One, how we can over-test or make children feel like they're mm-hmm. over-tested. Yeah. And two, they really can be very helpful with understanding yourself and understanding exactly. what's going on. And mm-hmm. you know what? It's valid. I, it's like, I know I keep dropping things, but I'm trying. You right. know, it's not <laughs> behavioral. It's just way I made up. And so like, how did that put some pieces together for you? It really put a lot of those pieces together because I could understand, oh, this is why it's hard for me to, when I hold a pencil, I just can't make it go the way that I wanted to. Right. Or that thing that, you know, I have an object in my hand and it just drops out of it. Yeah. Um, or I'll over grip on something and that, that that'll happen. So it just, that all started to make like, oh, that's why I, I can't do that. I, I think that's incredible. I really think that it's it's such an important um, piece of information as parents and educators to know that yes, you can over grip. You ever have a child who writes really, really hard, <laughs> and then you ask them to lighten up just a little bit. It's like you can't see it now. <laughs> right. And one of the things that really helped though was learning how to type. And ah, not half a semester that the typical student would, but it took me a whole, a full year. But once I did that, there wasn't a question of what I was writing, what I wanted to say. And they used to always put that emphasis, oh, you need to know how to write really well when you go up to this level. And as I went through school, they're, they're just like, no, we, we just want things typed. And I even had someone that told me, well, if you want to be a writer, you're going to have to learn how to be neat. And anything I really. I've seen, yeah, exactly. Was that person a writer? No. <laughs> yeah, because I, I wrote books and my handwriting is atrocious. <laughs> okay. Yeah, exactly. I know. And yeah, like what must say matters. Yeah, I mean, it's all gone through with being typed. So, yep. And, and, you know, Michelle, I was just, I was saying earlier, I was just interviewed before here with you um, on the other mm-hmm. side of podcast life. 
And um, I was really highlighting the importance of providing accommodations when students are both learning and taking tests online. Yes. Right. So you're in the classrooms now. You're in the middle school. You right. work with middle schoolers and they're on online. They're on programs learning. Right. Right. Do you find that children with disabilities have difficult time focusing? Oh, they definitely do. I uh, two years ago when we were, you know, um, still getting back into that or we were back right. online again, that was really difficult. In fact, sometimes I would have to go in with the student and we would just, I'd read a test to them or I'd sit with them and supervise while they got some work done. Reading a and, test, there's the reading accommodations. Mm -hmm. right? And, now, and yep. it, you, you work in a special education classroom, yes? I work uh, in some, like, in okay. some learning support rooms and then other ones I'll go in and I'll help out the students that are able to be in a general ed setting and I just will be able to kind of go over and just re um, emphasize what the teacher is saying reinforce that take them aside if they right. need a, a little break or help them with reading a test and just just helping out just giving that little reinforcement for a student right and now I'm curious, from your opinion and your perspective, mm -hmm. say there's um, five out of like 10 students, five of those students get um, testing accommodations uh, and they are to have um, directions read and explained. Mm -hmm. But now it's a quiet environment and these students are taking a test online in class, online in mm -hmm. class. How do you think those testing accommodations should be or could be delivered? I think if you're going to provide that, that should be away from like doing the breakout room, away from the other students, because there still is that stigma, that's not fair, or you're getting those, yeah. So I think it should be, you know, if you take those students that need that. And, but sometimes like if we are in the classroom and sometimes, that can be beneficial to the child that missed that uh, might have missed some information too. So it just really depends on uh, the students. It depends on the class and just what well, also what I'm directed to do as well. Sure, sure, of course. Now, have you seen that um, there's I because I've seen this. I've seen mm -hmm. in the classroom um, and certainly then at home where children are kind of left by themselves. Go on to this program for 20 minutes. Go mm -hmm. read or go do math and do the best you can and remember to focus, but their accommodations aren't being delivered. Exactly. I've seen that as well. Or back like two and a half years ago, I could see where sometimes we would just have to sit there and supervise a, a student doing their work. I mean, I couldn't help with math very much, but <laughs> my supervisor's just like, just make sure that she's focused in, just make sure she's doing what she's supposed to have her presenter screen. Because a lot of our kids, they didn't, they wouldn't, they didn't do the work. And right. they, right. yeah, so they do need to have that focus or just somebody there to kind of keep them accountable for what they are doing. Cause, and there's a lot of distractions when they're working at home too, that you may not get in the classroom. Sure. And even in the classroom, there's distractions if there's a noise in the, in the yep. hallway, somebody's talking or they're just not motivated to engage in the program. 
True. So, yep, that's where taking sometimes out in the hallway, going to another classroom, just giving them that quiet space that they can focus in on what they need to get done. And being that you can understand the world of really having those accommodations be part of your learning experience, do you think it would be a good idea for educators to walk around, know who has what accommodation so that way they can explain to them real time, okay, do you understand? Do you have any questions? Make sure you raise your hand because this is, I see that you're doing this, but now they're asking you a different type of question. Do you need me to reread the question, which is a very no. common accommodation? Exactly, I think that's important too, that they do offer that and we do model what you do in a situation like that. That's really important. And I think it's important that kids have um, an age-appropriate understanding of what their disability is, too. I yes. Think. Yeah, because there's a lot that they don't understand uh, what an IEP is, or they don't understand what their disability is. And I've had to explain to some of them, um, maybe not so much their disability, but the ones that knew, oh, I can't, I have really struggled with reading. How do I handle um, being that exception in the classroom, like with getting up in front of people and we kind of went through, well, you, you know, talk to your teacher privately after class and just, you know, re-emphasize with that way so they know what you have. And, but yeah, I agree 100% going through and just saying, do you, having them ask those questions, do you need me to reread this? Do you need that? Right. I really think that kids, once they go online, they don't realize that they can ask, what does this mean? What are they asking right. you to do? What is this word? Exactly. You want me to read it? I don't know. Then you right. can go over, you can say, use your strategies. Look, there's a barrel team, there's a split diagraph. You know, it prompts them. Now it's a learning experience rather than black or white. Exactly. Definitely. I yeah, agree. I think that's something we really need to work on um, everywhere when we when children are learning, whether it be at home or in the classroom. Right. And actually, it could be homework assignment. Did your child ask you a question while online? Yeah, right. yeah, learning how to ask that because eventually that, that child is going to go out, whether it's college or a training program or a job, and they're going to have to advocate right. for themselves. Yes. And I just, once I started advocating for myself, it, it was really a one, it was really eye opening and really a positive experience. So, really, what you're saying, I think, is advocating for yourself really begins with learning to ask for help in the classroom. Exactly. Yep. I think we have some really good takeaways here because we're talking about one, um, what signs to look for when your child is younger? I think some of the signs are if, like for me, it was, I would do a dot to dot page and I thought, oh, I'm doing a great job, but I just couldn't do it at that well at that age. I'm not being able to tie their shoes. I think when they go in for a kindergarten evaluation, mm -hmm. if they're not recognizing their letters or they're not being able to count or being able to have those basic reading skills, or if the preschool teacher says, I'm a little concerned that they're just not keeping up with what we see. Right. That's, that's a good, yeah. Right. So when they're little, really taking a look at what the mm -hmm. teachers are saying, is your child working really hard to perform a skill and thinks maybe they did a great job or maybe 
they think, oh, I don't, I really tried hard and that's not the outcome that I wanted. So as a, pa- a young parent of maybe your first child, or maybe you've had more than one child, this mm-hmm. is something where um, you can look to see those signs to then seek some professional help, guidance and opinions from. Then we took you this evening to really accommodations, being careful not to overtest students, but also to notice that there's a lot of good that could come out of it because like Michelle said, the light bulb went off. And so her life made a little bit more sense when she was grasping that pencil and writing too hard or too light or things in her hands just didn't do what she wanted them to do. Mm -hmm. And not only is that awareness important for the child, but also for the people around the child, because essentially that deeper understanding is for more patience and patience for more time in learning. Exactly. And then another takeaway I think is important is to look at the accommodations. What kind of accommodations are being used while the child is online, learning online? And lastly, self-advocacy. Self-advocacy is a lifelong skill. You know, depending on what age you're at and you're listening, have you ever had to go to the doctor and say, here are my symptoms. I need help with this. You're advocating for yourself, right? Right, exactly. And that comes from learning in the classroom to ask for help, to feel safe to ask for help, to know when to ask for help. And let's really highlight that it's okay and students should be asking for help when learning online to say, I don't know what they want from me here. Or can you help me read this word? They're Mm -hmm. asking the same thing they would ask if they had paper in front of them. But if they're learning online, in my opinion, Michelle, tell me if you agree, they should be able to ask for the same type of support. Yes, exactly. That is very important to have. So let's take all these takeaways that we provided for you and put action behind it. Do something with this information. Make sure that your child is learning to advocate, ask questions. Like, I don't understand this. Can you read this to me? As an educator, let's make sure that we are providing accommodations for our students while they are learning online. So that way they believe in themselves because they're learning and they feel valued and they feel like they are accomplished as they close their very own achievement gap with moving forward in education and building relationships. Michelle, do you have any last words for us? I would just encourage parents to not give up on their kids the same way that my parents did with me. And for someone that does have a disability that's out there, that they're able to do um, what they want to do if they can find, um, as long as they're able to find a way to do that and just not to give up on that. Great. Thank you so much for sharing your story, your experience, and your knowledge with us. Thank you so much. Please remember to like, share, and subscribe. I almost always forget to say that. That's what that hesitation was. So if you're listening, you heard all that information, like and share. Get it out there so we can make that difference we're all looking for children to have. (laughs) Make it a great day, everyone. 
Thank you for listening to the Student Success Beyond Expectations podcast, where school leaders, educators, and parents meet on behalf of children who struggle with learning. To bring workshops to your school or organization, contact Child Behavior Consulting and get started with resources available at childbehaviorconsulting.com, Amazon, and teacherspayteachers.com for ready-to-use resources and children's books. If you enjoyed this podcast, remember to review, subscribe, share, and give us a shout-out on social media.